There it is, mission trip to Mexico. This year, for five years, we went every summer and helped them with a kids camp, and we actually redid Focus, what we do here for our students, our junior high and high school. We brought that there, brought churches together in Mexico to uh, worship Jesus and see awesome things happen. Last year, obviously, that did not take place, and so this was the first time in two years that we were back with our hermanos y hermanas in Santiago, Mexico. It's south of Monterrey. Pretty beautiful, isn't it? 28 years we have been in uh, partnering and supporting our sisters and brothers over in Mexico. So thank you for praying. A couple of things that you saw in that video that I want to highlight is first, we did restart the kids' ministry. So it was the first time in those two years that they had an actual corporate gathering of kids because of the uh, COVID situation over there. It's different over there than it is here, meaning the community is way more uh, intense in their oversight. And so uh, it was really cool watching how uh, these kids just responded to us being there. And then the same thing with the students. So all of the water balloons and the soccer, that was the first time that they were all together uh, celebrating with one another. And then, I don't know if you saw Pastor David, he had the hat on and, and we went to this beautiful place. That is a piece of property in Santiago that has actually miraculously been given to this church to build a new building so it's really exciting. A lot of uh, good things are happening down there. And so it was fun to connect. It was fun to see what God is up to and ultimately just to be together in this season of this distance that we have experienced socially, just being with one another was a gift. God taught me some things that I want to share with you if that's okay with you because I came back refreshed. And uh, I was telling Taylor, my wife, that I came back refreshed. She's like, of course you did. You were in the pool and throwing water balloons and playing soccer, your favorite sport, of course. And I said, yeah, I know. Uh, we did do all of those, and we ate delicious food while we were down there. Someone had to do it, and we did it for the glory of God. So I came back refreshed, yes, for all of those reasons, but also because God is doing a new thing in here, and that is overflowing in here in our church and also in all the churches around and being a part of that is really special. So the first thing that God taught me is quite personal. I was born in Mexico City. I moved to Miami when I was six and then Houston when I was 13. So I kind of grew up with a, a conflicting identity. I'd go to school and speak English and then, you know, they'd say, yeah, you're Mexican. And, but then I'd go to Mexico and they're like, yeah, but you're mocho. You're, you're a gringo. You don't, you know, you're not Mexican. You're American. And, and so there's this conflict for me in identity of who am I? What am I? American, Mexican, something else I don't know. And then through this church, when I was 18, when I was welcomed as an 18-year-old freshman at Texas State University, I understood that my identity is not in what my passport says, but it's who my creator says that I am. And that is I'm a citizen of heaven. That is us. And so anytime I go back to Mexico, I get to relive that in a, in a, in a new and cool way that I, I can't experience in other places. And Corporately, I want to say to you, the Big C Church is alive and well. 
We get to call these amazing people in Mexico, David, Avisai, Priscila, Diego. These are your brothers and sisters down there. It's a little harder for them to come here. Maybe one day I hope you'll go with me down there and meet them and, and enjoy this fellowship that we have. But it's not also there. It's in Cuba and it's in Zimbabwe and it's in India and Thailand and Burma. Did I say Serbia? I'll say Serbia if I have. I already said it. I said it twice. Just this beautiful church that calls Jesus Lord and Savior. And when you experience that, I don't know about you, but I get pretty pumped. So that's what one thing that God taught me. The second is they gave me a Bible. They asked me on Thursday when I got there, hey, you're preaching on Sunday. And I said, right on. I'm always up for a challenge. And uh, they gave me this Bible. This is the Reina Valera version. For us, it'd be like the King James. And so it has a lot of old Spanish. I didn't grow up reading the Bible in English or Spanish. And so it kind of reminded me when I went uh, into the Word to study for Sunday, last Sunday, I felt deterred by some of the words. It's like, I don't understand what that means. And I kind of, kind of, you know, puts me, have you ever felt that when you read the Bible and you read something that you don't understand? You're like, it's not going to read anymore. And, and it reminded me the importance of perseverance when we read his word. The importance of asking questions. Why, God, did you write this down? How does it apply to my life? What truth are you wanting to teach me versus, you know, this judgment that goes on in here of what I want you to say? And, and so I wrestled with that, and, and uh, it was fun to preach on Sunday. And then on Monday morning, I knew we were closing out the series here, so I opened it up. Mark chapter 15 and 16. That's where we're going to be this morning as we cap off the Summer Through Mark series. Uh, parentheses, I sure hope that you feel bold enough and courageous to click on that link on the guide and write something. You don't need to write your name on it, but something that Jesus has taught you through these eight weeks that we've been walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Here's a, here's, here's, I hope this gives you freedom. The simpler, the better. Don't worry about, well, I didn't, it wasn't huge, but I learned that Jesus was faithful. Write it down. Because what happens when we individually speak out what God is teaching us, it blesses somebody else in his church. And so when we post these, when you see what God is teaching to other people in here, that's gonna edify and build us up. That's the why we're doing that. So anyway, I'm reading Mark 15 and 16. New things are, are, are showing up. I'm seeing it in a fresh new way. And I wanna encourage you, maybe for you reading the Bible is really hard because you didn't grow up with it. It's confusing. There's a lot of things that, that you may not understand. I encourage you to stay uh, uh, persevere through that, ask questions, talk to someone that may understand it a little bit more. There's tons of amazing uh, uh, resources online. The Bible Project is my personal favorite. Look what Jesus is saying to you and to me. And also, if you've been reading it for a while, maybe try reading a new translation for a little bit and, and, and see things in a new and fresh way. So I felt, well, reading Mark 15, 16. So I'll go ahead and preach in Spanish this Sunday. What do you guys think? I'm not gonna do that. I think some of you would be really excited, maybe too excited, and others of you would be very afraid. So God is on the move in uh, Mexico, big time. One of the things that I felt this, this was the third thing that he really showed me, was that God's on the move, but times are also really hard. 
we're walking through difficult things, and the truth is, is that there's no new thing that we're experiencing. This is all old stuff, especially to God. He ain't surprised. He walks through uh, uh, the fire with us. And as I was thinking, it was two years since I had been back, and so we had a lot of catching up to do, and I was talking to them about what God had taught me and what was doing through our church in these two years. Phew, I felt all of this weight on me as I went back and was like, yeah, and this happened and, then, and that happened and, and how was that for you? And then they would share and, and, you know, they're still struggling with a lot of things that we're not necessarily struggling with as a society here. And, and they know, they know how to have faith through hard times. I will tell you that. They are, they are, they are not shocked when trials arise. They persevere and have faith that can move mountains. And so I'm thinking, Lord, what, what, what is this? And then I'm reading in Mark chapter 15, where I want to uh, land today, 15 and 16. Jesus is at the end of his ministry days. He is, these are the last hours of his life. We have seen him do a lot of amazing things. He's raised people from the dead. He has taught us how to live, truly live as human beings here on earth. He's uh, foreshadowed things that, that he's gonna die, that he's gonna be raised again. We hear that, but now we actually are walking with him through this passion, this very emotionally packed chapter in verses that, that actually are very heavy and very weighty. And so I don't have points this morning, but here's the point of today's message. I don't know what you are going through in life. I don't know what circumstance you are walking through, but I bet that you are going through some heavy things. You are walking through some troubles that you feel uh, burdened by. And the message this morning is really John 16, 33. Jesus is at the end of his, his days and he said that I've told you all of these things, everything that Jesus told us on earth, he told us so that in him, we may have peace. In this world, we will have trouble, but we can take heart because he has overcome the world. I wanna emphasize that word, peace. Because sometimes we think that peace means the absence of trouble. And peace means that we're not gonna go through hard things because we follow Jesus. If we follow Jesus, he will bless us. He will give us joy. He will right all the wrongs. Yes, yes, following Jesus is a blessing. And good things do come when we surrender to him. And also, there is trouble in this world because our world is broken. In this peace that he gives us, peace is not the absence of trouble, it's God's presence through those troubles. And so my prayer this morning is that as we read the cross narrative, that we would be filled with his peace and that we would lay down those things that are weighing us down. This right here, it's an altar, it's a symbol we can come when we gather on Sunday morning and lift our hands and worship and say, God, I'm going through a hard time, but I'm praising your name. I'm putting you first. And also we can come and we can kneel before him as a symbol of surrender and say, God, I don't have what it takes to go through this season of life, but I'm trusting in you. 
And in the cross narrative, we, we read that Jesus goes through that. In fact, in Matthew 4, Mark 14, a lot of terrible things happen to Jesus, some of which come at the hands of his closest friends. I don't know if you've ever felt abandoned, rejected, overlooked, misunderstood, betrayed, mocked. Jesus did. He was betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends, one of the 12 that he spent time investing in. He poured out his life. He taught him. He ate with him. He uh, traveled with him. And then for some coins, he was betrayed. He was abandoned then when he was arrested, when Jesus was arrested by his closest friends. After asking them, hey, stay up and pray with me because my time is coming to an end and I'm about to endure really hard things. Please, can you be with me? Can you pray for me? Not only did they fall asleep, but when the officers came, they just ran away. One guy left his entire, he ran away naked. They escaped and abandoned Jesus. And then this high priest, the ruler of the Israelites, the religious elite, condemned Jesus mocked him and sent him over to Pilate to be beat and ultimately killed. Jesus has gone through some hard things. He has gone through everything that you and I go through. This world, Jesus has gone through, except for sin. He didn't sin, but he went through that so that he can give us peace through these trials, and we're picking up right in chapter 15. I'm gonna start in verse two. We read that Jesus is now sent to Pontius Pilate, the Roman ruler. Again, the high priest, the religious elite could not condemn Jesus to death, uh, uh, but Pilate could, and so they told him, hey, this guy, this guy, he, 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 thinks, he thinks that he's God. He is blasphemed, 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 Blasphemy, Ben, something like that. I'm still rolling from speaking a lot of Spanish. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> he has gone to, to, to Pilate, and now he is asking him, uh, the religious leader asking him to sentence him to death. And so Pilate is testing him in verse two. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. This is the second time that Jesus is asked, are you the Messiah or are you the king? The first one was from the high priest. Jesus said, I am he. And they, they tore their clothes because they couldn't believe that a man would say such a thing. And then Pilate is asking him, are you the king of the Jews? And we're gonna read one more time that uh, we read who Jesus is. And uh, Jesus says, you have said so. And then the chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. See, Jesus said, yeah, you've said it and I'm not gonna defend myself. I could because I am who you say I am, I am the Messiah, I am king, but I am on a mission. And so Jesus does not defend himself and Pilate ignorantly believes that he has the authority to save him from death. No, 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 no. Jesus is the only one with the authority and he is laying it down. 
Verse six, now it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Verse eight, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. So at the Passover, this was the most important Israel uh, holiday. This is where they celebrate the exodus, people leaving the enslavement of their people in Egypt, and they are freed now and are on their way to the land that God promised Abraham. This is old stuff, and Jesus knows that he ultimately is the Passover lamb that was sacrificed so that their people can be freed. Do you see the connection, the beautiful things that we read in Scripture? And it was a Roman tradition to release one Jewish prisoner to appease the people, to keep the people in order during this very rowdy festival. In verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They're saying, surely this guy is better than Barabbas, the true insurrectionist who has committed murder and is a troublemaker. But the chief uh, uh, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate has given him another chance. Verse 11, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. He was shocked. He didn't understand. He certainly didn't see verse 13 coming. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Reading these verses on Monday morning, I'm like, God, this is heavy stuff. This is stuff that, that we normally pay attention to when we talk about Easter, you know, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, that, that season. Uh, if you've gone to an encounter retreat, you know that we focus uh, on the cross. First thing that we do, if you have not gone to an encounter retreat, really encourage you. We're gonna have some in the fall. Go to an encounter retreat where we really focus on what this means for us. And the reason why we do that is because it is intense, but my friends, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what Jesus has done for you and for me. And, and when we read this, we see that weight that he carried for you, for me, today. Verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. This was a public place outside of the walls of Jerusalem, and it was public on, on purpose. It's where executions took place to teach others a lesson. Look what these criminals are going through. Be deterred. Don't do as they do. Verse 23, then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. This was uh, uh, something to help uh, him with the pain, a numbing agent. And yet he did not take it. Verse 24, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. This is to fulfill the prophecy in Psalm 22. One of two times the Psalm 22 is quoted in this passage in verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him and the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. 
Gospel of Mark spends time not on little details, but on the emotion and the intensity of what is happening. Other gospel authors focus on different things, but as we read through this, it's interesting to me how many people are identified and included in this story. We have uh, in verse uh, chapter 14, we have Peter who abandons, the disciple who abandons, and then Peter ultimately denies him three times. We have uh, Judas, we have the high priest, we have this man named Pilate. And then in verse 33, we see the father. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. This was divine darkness representing lament in judgment that Jesus was undergoing. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is not only abandoned and rejected by the high priest, by his closest friends, by Pilate, but by the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with wine, vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down, he said. Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Why did the father turn from the son? It was because you and I were the ones that were supposed to be on that cross. And it was sin that separates us from the father. And so only a righteous sacrifice could bridge that gap, my friends. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring us back to the father. And in order to do that, this mysterious divine truth that the wrath of God needed to come down on his one and only son so that you and I could be called sons and daughters of God. That's the gospel message. Tim Keller puts it this way, that on the cross, Jesus Christ is getting what we deserved so that we can get what he deserves. And that's sonship. It's being called his own, being reunited with God. If, if I were to wrong someone, I would need to repent in order for us to be okay, right? If I hurt my wife, I repent and say, I'm sorry, and then she would forgive me, and then we would be okay, or at least in the process of becoming okay, because sometimes that takes time. What Jesus is doing here is he's flipping it. He's forgiving first, way before repentance occurs. All along in the Gospel of Mark, we read time and time again that these disciples are ready to be with the guy that calls all the shots. They can't wait to be in the presence of the almighty Messiah that's gonna come to rule and usher in God's kingdom but they were certainly not aware that they would be the very ones that left Jesus first. 
because it wasn't about bringing upon this kingdom of God to magnify us as a people. It was Jesus submitting himself to the will of the Father and dying in our place to usher in a new way to live for all people, not just Jews. See, he loved us first. He forgave us. In this peace that we read in John 16, 33, in me you may have peace. That peace that transcends all understanding, that peace happens when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus and turn to him and say, Lord, I, I, I can't do this alone. Lord, I, I, there's something in me that I think needs to change, and so I'm willing to change. I am saying that you are Lord, that your way is better. And right now, we, uh, uh, this is not in my notes, but I felt it when we were worshiping. We're, we're, we're in a time in our culture, not in time, big uh, picture time. This is has been true, and, and this has told us that there would be many times where people would say that what is bad is actually good. What is sin is not sin. Well, we're experiencing a cultural tide in our culture, our American culture 2021 right now, where a lot of things that God says are not good, people are saying, no, that's right. God's wrong. Actually, there's a nuanced way to see it. If you look at it this way, it's actually good. And my friends, two warnings there. One is we need to be careful. We need to keep our hearts full of compassion for those that are saying that what's God is uh, uh, that God is wrong and that we're right. That's the first thing. But the second thing, we need to continue to be personally submitted to God's way, because we can look out and see what everybody else is doing wrong, but we can ignore the very things that we are doing that are offending our Heavenly Father, that, that, that are breaking our fellowship with him. And the cross is the source of that power where we are made whole once and for all. He forgave us. Now he's just waiting for us to come back to him. There's three types of sin. There's sin done by us. That's the first one that we uh, tend to look at our mistakes, the things that we do to others. We know that God erases that, that he forgives us for those things. But there's two others that are very important too. And this goes back to Old Testament Levitical law where there is also sin done to us. These wounds, these hurts that sometimes actually compel us to sin as well. And God on the cross, Jesus on the cross came to heal those things. It says this in Isaiah 53, this was written 700 years before Jesus. He says, he was despised. He is Jesus. Jesus was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turn our backs on him and look the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin but he was pierced for our, trans, uh, for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Sins done by us, sins done by us to us, and sins done around us. Y'all, 
This is a crazy and broken world when we experience some traumatic event that we did not cause or someone didn't purposefully cause to us. We feel that weight. Have, has anything like that ever happened to you in this life where you're just around something that is heavy and, and now you're affected because you witnessed it, because you were around it, because it happened to someone that you love? My friends, in this world, we will have trouble, but take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He overcame the world by dying on the cross and by resurrecting and saying that death was not going to define him. And so we now have a promise. What is that promise? I'm so glad you asked. We're going to keep on reading. Uh, uh, verse 39, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of of God. The promise is that the centurion who put Jesus on the cross himself, perhaps he nailed the the, the uh, he nailed his hands on the cross or his feet on the cross. The promise is that that man is now reconciled to his heavenly Father and Creator. The promise is that in this world we will have trouble, but we have eternity to look forward to forever with Jesus. We have been promised that we will have eternity in a reality where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. That is the promise. Anybody with me? That is the promise that we have when we are in Jesus. And the centurion is putting on a clinic. Why? Again, he put Jesus up there. And now he is seeing this man on a cross who was, now he's recognizing innocent, but not only that, but he is dying for him. Surely this man was the son of God. And, and this comes full circle because three times or, or three different uh, people say that Jesus is the son of God. A lot of times Jesus calls himself the son of man in the gospel of Mark or the Messiah. But three times we read the son of God. The first is uh, Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The second are demons that know Jesus because they're in tune with all the spiritual reality. They know who he is. And then the third is this Roman centurion. My friends, if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what does. He is the Son of God who came for you and for me and has brought us into right relationship with the Father. The cross isn't the end. The resurrection is, man, you can come back up. In Mark 16, 6, we read that Mary and uh, mom Mary, Mary Magdalene, and this other woman named Salome go to the tomb, and they're wondering, who's going to roll away this stone? They have spices. They want to take care of Jesus's body, and instead, they find an empty tomb, and this man sitting there in white robes saying, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. A few things. A, he is risen. Anybody with me? He is risen. He's no longer in the grave. He paid the price for our sins and then said, hey, you now have the opportunity to have resurrection life on earth and forever. On earth, when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to God's Holy Spirit alive and active in us, and yes, for eternity, when we get to spend forever with him, worshiping him with all nations. Oh, awesome. Okay, moving on. But he also says, go, 
tell his disciples and Peter, that guy that betrayed you, he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. He's told us a lot of things here and all of those things will come true. And all of those things are yes to bless you, but it's also so that you and I could be a blessing to others, so that God can bless others through us. And and this morning, I I say, yes, let's go and be a blessing. But also, I want us to take a second and just sit for a while. And, And that question that I asked you at the beginning of the message, what's weighing you down? What are those things that you are carrying? Because Jesus has done a beautiful thing for us. He has carried the weight of sin on his shoulders and he's overcome the world thanks to his resurrection. We're watching these Olympics now and we're celebrating athletes overcoming adversity so that they can win medals. Well, the way that Jesus overcame the world was first through dying. Think about that. He gave up his life so that you and I could have And so wherever you are, however you feel led to respond, I do pray that you would respond and and lay those things at the feet of Jesus. Whatever those burdens are, whatever that weight is, maybe it is personal sin in your life that is unconfessed. Maybe you've been holding on to a way in your life. You say, I I just don't wanna give up living this way or I don't wanna give up believing these things or, 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 or thinking this way. He's calling us to just lay him down. He's, there's no other condition. He already came. He already died. He was already raised for you. And he died for that sin issue that you were dealing with, that you were having a hard time letting go. So I encourage you today in this place, confess it. He already knows, but he wants reconciliation. He wants us to repent and turn back to him. Maybe it's a relationship or a circumstance in life that's just really tense. Maybe it's those other sin areas, sin done to you or sin done around you that's weighing you down. My encouragement to you is that remember that he has overcome the world and in him we have peace that makes no sense. Peace that allows us to love those that have hurt us. Peace that uh, gives us the strength to forgive first in the same way that Jesus forgave. And last, if you are here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, no better time and day than to do that. Following the model of the Roman centurion who himself put Jesus on that cross and repented, recognized who he was and said, I'm going to believe. There was no magic prayer, no magic formula, no next steps. It was just faith and confession. You are the son of God. So if that's you and and you still don't understand all of this in your head and you're like, well, there's a lot in my past that you don't understand. I'm like, yeah, I don't, but God does. So confess to him and then tell somebody about it. Maybe someone that you came with or come up to me or come up to uh, Ben or or Pastor Rhonda or JD or Tyler, somebody on staff, Becky, and, and say, hey, I've made a decision today to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Welcome, this is the beginning of our journey as we follow Jesus, the only perfect Savior. So let's pray.